Good evening, ladies. Good evening, Mr. Jones. Hmm. Guess your hubby's feeling the heat, Mrs. Moran. Oh, men are all alike. They're all easy enough to get along with so long as everything goes the way they want it to. But once it don't, good night. Yes, that's true, Mrs. Jones. I often think it's a shame that people don't seem able to live together in peace and quiet without making each other miserable. Well, what I say is, you get married for better or for worse. And if it turns out for the worse, well, all you can do is make the best of it. Words to live by, I suppose. How's everybody doing? Good. Oh, I'm glad you guys are jacked to be in service. I'm so excited uh, to be here with you guys and ready to give the word tonight. Um, I want, before we start, I want everyone to do one thing. I want you to turn your head around and take a look at that camera and say hello to South Campus. Say it. You can say hello to South Campus. Yes, so good to have you guys. Thanks for tuning in with us on our South Campus uh, this morning. And uh, so thank you so much for being here. My name is Jamie. And um, I'm the assistant pastor here. Uh, pastor Mark and Liz are on vacation this week, a well-deserved vacation. And uh, I'm just going to ask you one thing, and I'm not going to get into specifics, but could you pray for your pastor? Okay, good. Four of you will. So as long as four, that was my magic number. Um, I know a lot of you already do, but I think um, Mark and Liz are kind of going into this part of their lives where I think God is going to be doing some really cool things and answering some prayers. And so just continue to pray for them. And uh, I think that would be beneficial to them and you kind of when they give uh, a little bit more info on what I'm talking about. Um, we are in the first week of a series called For Better, For Worse. And yes, this is about marriage, but yes, this is about relationships. And so we're going to get into that for a few, moment, uh, few moments. Pastor Natalie kind of took the, the wind out of my sails a little bit, but I do want to take time for us to celebrate some things that happened last weekend. And uh, through these doors and through the, the doors of our South Campus last week, we had over a thousand people hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, yeah, about 300 of those uh, came to our Good Friday services, and then we had about 775 uh, come to church last weekend and hear about Jesus. 33 of those tuned in consistently for our very first live stream on Facebook, which is super cool. And we had about uh, 750 people tune into that at one point or another during that hour. So that's pretty cool. Um, last week, we also uh, came to you guys as the church, and uh, we said we wanted to raise some funds for uh, our partnership with a Wesleyan church in Haiti called, called Coconut Island Wesleyan. I don't think it's actually called Coconut Island, um, at least not in English. It's true shoo shoo, um, but try saying that three times fast. Um, and so we wanted to continue our, our partnership with this church, and right now they have basically a slab of concrete. And that is church. Uh, but it's also uh, part of the school, and it's like the community center. It's where everyone goes. And so we want to try and raise $5,000 uh, to help build up that foundation a little bit and just have this ongoing partnership. You guys together raised over $5,200 for that, which is awesome. 
And so we sent our friend Ryan Cochran with a load of cash and say, buy some supplies. And our team is en route tomorrow morning, Sunday morning, um, to go start uh, that project. And it's a lot of fun. But all of that, and we still had 12 people give their life to Jesus for the very first time. And that is why we do what we do. And there are still some yes cards that are coming in. And there are still people that we're having conversations with uh, that have made decisions like that. And so we're super excited for what God is doing. And so that's a big weekend. Like that's a lot of stuff going on in one weekend. Those weekends do not happen without people like you who give up their time and, you know, time away from family and their resources to help serve to make huge weekends like that. And so thank you to all the volunteers, to all of those who put in a lot of hours and sweat and blood and tears and cash to make something like that happen. Amen? Yes. So thank you to each one of you. If you, like, have yet to find a spot to plug in to serve, you should find one of these cards, and we want to put you and the gifts that God has given you, we want to put them to work. Okay? We want to help you serve the kingdom in a greater capacity. So we would love for you to fill one of those out uh, and uh, get serving. All right, let's talk about Jesus. Let's talk about marriage. Let's talk about for better, for worse. Um, I think that marriage is the most important human relationship that we can have. Uh, I, I do believe that the most important relationship that we can have is the relationship that we have with God the Father. But the most important human relationship that we can have is with our spouse, with that person that we are married to. Now, singles. Don't check out on me. Just because this sermon is about marriage, this is about us. Christianity is, is not about just your relationship with God. It's the relationship that we have with others. So, so just hang on with me for a few minutes, and we're going to speak to everyone through the context of marriage. Got it? Before we start, uh, a few disclaimers. Uh, not just for today, but for this whole series. Specifically for today, uh, Catherine and I will have been married for 13 years this July. For those that have been married less than that, I will say this. You don't figure it out. Like, like you, just, you just don't figure it out. Um, Doug and Karen, it's their 49th wedding. 39th. Well, sorry about that. Uh, I'm going to hear about that. 39 years today they've been married. Doug, have you figured it out? Karen, have you figured it out? Yes, exactly, yeah. <laughs> That is the correct answer. Um, I've only been married 13 years, and I haven't figured it out. I am not an expert on marriage. Cool? And today's sermon will not even scratch the surface of marriage. You can't do a marriage sermon in one talk. Really, we should be doing all seven weeks on marriage and just try to get all this stuff sorted out, right? But we got one week, and we're going to try to do it well. Uh, and then the third thing I want to say is that there's going to be lots of topics throughout this, this whole series. I mean, we're talking about marriage and divorce. We're talking about sex, and we're talking about friendships. We're talking about compassion. We're talking about parenting and kids. And then on week seven, we're actually going to have a live panel on stage, and we're going to have dozens of questions thrown at us, and we're going to all try to answer as many as we can. So we are talking about a lot of stuff. And so I want you all to hear me very, very closely. We are going to talk about things that some of you may disagree with, and that is okay. 
okay? That is okay. Uh, and so I want you to have that in the forefront of your mind as we dig deep into God's word. And maybe for some of those things that you disagree with, I, I encourage you, I implore you, I recommend that you personally dig deep into God's word and, and ask Holy Spirit to reveal some things to you. And I'm not saying that, you know, everything that we preach from this pulpit you have to believe and it's 100%, you know, accurate and right and that's that. Okay, that is not the case. I am an imperfect person, and I will probably say things imperfectly. I talk faster than I run, and so you may miss some things, right? So I'm an imperfect preacher. But I do want to say this, is this is the authority in which we say everything from this pulpit. This is the one. And I can't make this say something that it doesn't. I can't bend it and flex it and kind of force it into somewhere to just make it kind of work. And I think throughout this series, there's going to be times where we're going to have to wrestle with that and struggle with that. This thing, this is meant to be challenging and convicting and transforming and changing. That's the point of this. And I think that some of us are going to run into that a little bit, myself included, as we get into this series. Cool? We all understand? Great. Um, I want you guys to do uh, something for me. I want you to stand up for a moment. Stand up. Uh, one of the pastoral perks that we have is to get to officiate weddings. It's one of my favorite things. Uh, two summers ago, I got to officiate my very first wedding, and uh, I prepared like crazy and uh, had premarital counseling with the couple, and it was good. And so the wedding day came. And the bride gets to the end of the aisle, and as she does, I say, congregation, would you please stand? And the, the bride, she looked beautiful. She comes down the aisle, and everyone's standing and looking at her and watching her come up the aisle. And she comes up the aisle, and her dad kisses her and gives her away. And she stands next to her future husband, and we roll on with the service. We roll on the service, and everything is going fantastic. We get through the vows, the exchanging of the rings. There's beautiful music playing, and we're just at the very end of the ceremony, and it comes time for the registry where you have to sign a piece of paper that makes things, like, governmentally official. And so we go to the table, and I sit down, and I sign my name, and I pull the chair out for, uh, for the wife, and she signs her name, and I look up, and I look around, and the entire congregation is still standing. Oh, you guys can totally sit down. Uh, it's because I did not tell them that they could sit down. And so for the entire ceremony, we were outside at Kingswood on the golf course. For the entire ceremony, everyone stood up. Like, they, they had, uh, for whatever reason, they felt like they had to wait for me to seat them, and I forgot and so they were standing for the entire ceremony. And so as soon as we get back to the middle, I say, congregation, you can maybe be seated. And there was a few chuckles and all that kind of stuff. And I say, for the very first time, I'm excited to announce for you, Mr. and Mrs. Yada, yada, yada. And I say, and you can stand uh, as we wish, you know, the bride and the groom on the way out. So that was my first wedding where everyone stood for the entirety of it, like 30 or 40 minutes of it. Oh, it was crazy. But here's the thing, is that I think that people did that. People deliberately stood because they know that it's a special moment. They know that there's some respect 
involved. That they know that there's this there's just this thing about a wedding day where you just do what you're asked and you sit and you, you take in and you be a part of this significant moment in someone's life. And that's because I believe that marriage is the most important human relationship, this contract, this covenant that we get into with humans, with one another. I believe that this is significant and it's important and it's part of creation. And so I know when we talk through marriage through the Bible, uh, a lot of times we just jump right to Genesis 2, and that's where we're going to be. So if you have your Bible, jump into Genesis 2. Um, before we do that, I want to talk about creation, okay? I don't know if you're going to be able to see this South Campus or not, but we'll do our best to get it on camera. Let's talk about creation for a moment. So let's have a little bit of a review. On day one, God created the what? The heavens and the earth. And he said, it is, it is good. Day two, he created, uh, I forget now, I'm such a bad pass, the sky and the water. He created the sky and the water. And on day three, he created what? Land and plant life. And he said, it is, he said, it is good. Now, here is the thing. I don't know if most of you know, but creation is actually a poem. Like, it's not just something that was written. It's actually a piece of Hebrew poetry. And Hebrew poetry is not written like poetry like we know. You know, roses are red, violets are blue, sugar is sweet, and so are you, or whatever that is. I'm pretty sure that was Doug's line earlier to Karen um, for their anniversary. But we know poetry in, in how words rhyme. But in Hebrew poetry, concepts and themes rhyme. That's how poetry was for the Israelites. And so, and as it was for God on, sorry, on day four, he created what? Stars and moon and sun. And on day five, he created what? Birds and fish, specifically. And on day six, he created what? The rest of the animals. Now, here is the great thing, the beautiful thing about creation, is that he didn't just create these things with some kind um, of, you know, random intention. He created the heavens and the earth. But then he created something that complements heavens and earth. So in the heavens, we have the stars and we have the planets. And on earth, we have the sun and the moon to light our days and our nights. He created day four for day one. And then on day two, he created the sky and water. And to complement that, he, he created birds for the sky and fish for the water. And he said, it is good. And on day six, he created animals to take over the land and eat all the plants. And he said, it is what? It is good. So there's this purposeful order in creation, this beautiful poem of things that just go together. There's balance. With every created thing, there is a balance, a yin to the yang, if you will. There is this beautiful symmetry in creation in the poem. And so this is what happens now that we know that Throughout this poem, this continued poem, this is Genesis 2. We're going to start at verse 8, and then I'm going to skip to 15. Genesis 2, 8. Then the Lord 
God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. And for the next few verses, it goes on to describe Eden and how big it was and how many rivers ran through it. It was this huge, huge, like, country of a garden. It was massive. Verse 15. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But then the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of, the good, of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat this, you will surely die. Verse 19, so the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them, and the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the animals. So let's stop here for a moment. This is Adam's calling. This is the vocation, the job. This is the thing that God has called Adam to. He's like the very first landscaper, zoologist kind of person. Now, today, there are about 8.7 million species of animals. Now, I'm sure in creation there weren't that many, but even a fraction of that was Adam's job to name them and classify them and put them in their place. Like, this was Adam's job. It was his calling. Like, that's a huge, huge task. And then this is what God says in Genesis 2, 18 and 20. He says, then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. And, of course, God looked around and saw all the animals and says there was no helper that was just right for him. So we know that in creation, everything had a complement. Everything had a balance and fulfilled one another. And so then we get to man, and God looks at him and says, it is not good for man to be alone. And it's not because God uh, thought he made a mistake with Adam. It's not because uh, God saw him and said, oh, he's just not, he's not good enough. That's not God's intention. But he, after all this stuff, he says, it is good. He looks at man and he says, it is not good for him to be alone. And so he creates woman and to go with the order, the poetic kind of translation of this, the, the creation story, man is completed, is fulfilled with woman. Now, we need to say a few things here. And as a staff, we were discussing this, and we have to be, be careful not to step on anybody's toes. But here's the thing with creation. It wasn't man first and woman second, as if it was some kind of hierarchy. It was man first and then humanity second. See, woman completed humanity. It's not like one was first and the other was second. It was the completion of who we are. It was the completion of humanity. And, and, and Eve was created to fulfill and to complete Adam. You with me? So Adam had this incredible job ahead of him. And he just couldn't do it on his own. There was just no way he was going to... It would take him years and years and centuries to name all of those things and put them in their place. And so he needed help. And when, we, when God says, I will make you a helper, he's not talking about a personal assistant. Now, women are not our personal assistant. Your wife, your spouse is not your personal assistant. It, it is the completion of your calling. 
And so God creates man and woman so that they complement each other's calling. This is man's calling, and he couldn't do it by himself, and so he creates woman to fulfill and complete the calling that God had on Adam's life. This is this kind of poetic completion in creation. Let's move on. Genesis 2, uh, 21. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord uh, God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought, brought her to the man. And so here we get this man first, humanity second. It's the completion of his job. And see, Eve was created to help him fulfill his calling. And marriage is something like this. Marriage is not, for you singles out there, marriage is not like an elimination of your loneliness. That's not the point of marriage. The point of marriage is to find someone who completes you and balances you and helps you fulfill the calling on your life. And this is for men and women. So for singles, and we're going to talk about singleness a little bit more in depth next week. But I do want to say this, is that if you are currently single and maybe you're currently looking for somebody, it's, it's great to have great looks. It, it's good to have someone with a head on their shoulders. But really, you want to find someone who has a calling on their life. Not only that, but someone who can help you fulfill your calling. That is the template for marriage, finding someone who completes your calling, who balances out, and that the way that you do that with one another. We'll get into that more next week. I'm going to end my rant there before I get in trouble. Let's move to Genesis 2, starting at 23. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh, and she will be called woman because he took one look at her and said, whoa, man. <laughs> they were naked. Uh, she will be called a woman because she was taken from the man. This explains why a man leaves his father, now get this, and mother, and is joined to his wife. Uh, now, when it says joined, it means that they, they become one. All their stuff, all their money, all their possessions, all the baggage, everything is joined together. And the two are united into one, which is a reference to sex. Like, literally, they fit together. Okay? And so, this is God's template for marriage. Right here, these two verses. But here's the thing, is that God wants to draw our attention to this because it is the most important human relationship that we can have. And so what he does is he just stops the poem. He just stops it right there in verse 23 and 24. And so no longer we have this yin and this yang. And what he does is he wants to draw our attention to something very, very important. And he says... This explains why a man leaves his father and mother to be joined and united. Adam and Eve didn't have parents. And so all of a sudden, God is saying, hold on. I want you to look at this very, very carefully. Because we kind of get this back and forth of the created order. He says, no, stop. Take a look at this, hum this human union. And this becomes the template for marriage. This becomes what... God envisioned for marriage. Spiritually, they are made to fulfill one another's calling. Physically, they're made to join together and balance one another out. Anatomically, they're made to join together, to fit together. Okay, you get 
what I'm saying there? Like physically, they're made to be with one another. And so this is God's template. This is what he's saying is marriage. It's all right here. And then he throws in this one line in verse 25, which is super important, not just for the married people in, in the house, but for singles and for everyone who loves Jesus. Genesis 2.25 says, Now the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Back in the late 90s, um, I was in junior high, I think, and um, one of the fashion trends was tearaway pants. Like, you know those, those pants that basketball players wear? They, they put their shorts on, and they have the tearaway pants, and they get called onto the court, and they just tear them off, and they run out. At least that's why I envision basketball. I don't follow basketball. But, um, so back in 96, 97, 98, tearaway pants were a big fashion trend. And, of course, I had to have a pair just like everybody else. And uh, I remember I was in a school assembly, and I was wearing these tearaway track pants. And uh, for I'm not sure what the reason was, but I got called on to stage to get some kind of award or something. And I was really excited for it because I just didn't expect it. Um, obviously, it wasn't that important because I don't remember what it was. But So I ran down the auditorium aisle, and I began to r- run up stage uh, so I could get onto the stage and get this thing. And as I turned the, the corner and went up the stairs, something on the railing caught my tearaway pants. And as my momentum carried me forward, my pants stayed there, and I stood in front of my whole school in my Simpsons boxer shorts. There is no thing more vulnerable than a prepubescent teen standing in front of his school in his boxer shorts. Like, even when people go up for public speaking, if they're really nervous, people will say, just picture them in their underwear and it'll be fine. I'm not doing that, just so you know. I'm not doing that right now. Um, But you tell somebody, just picture them in your eyes, it's because that's how you become yourself. That's how you become real. That's how you become vulnerable in front of people. And so God says, Adam and Eve were both naked and they felt no shame because there is nothing more vulnerable than being naked in front of somebody. And so he's not just pointing toward their sinless nature at this point, because chapter three, that all goes down the drain anyway, but he's saying that they were vulnerable with one another. And this is such a huge part of marriage, is, is to be vulnerable with your spouse, to let there be nothing about you that they don't know about. There's nothing about you that they can't see. But this is not just for marriage. This is for us. And and we as a church talk all the time about community and how important community is and how about our relationships and how important they are. That's because we need to be vulnerable with one another. And I guarantee you, later on when we do baptisms, uh, I will cry in front of all of you. And that's me being vulnerable because I know that that's life change, that that's something important. And so there's something really valuable when we become vulnerable with one another. Think about Jesus for a moment. Like when Jesus was taking his cross through the streets of Jerusalem, they they whipped him and they beat him and they spat on him and they called him names. And he was basically down to his undergarments as he took his cross to Golgotha. Like, how vulnerable was Jesus in those moments? Like, it's, it's incredible. 
And so marriage is created to be this everlasting, lifelong commitment between a man and a woman who are completely vulnerable with one another and help fulfill one another's calling. That is kind of the created order of creation. And now, look, I get that we're imperfect people, and people mess up, and marriages fall apart sometimes. We're all sinful people, and we all do stupid things sometimes, and sometimes things just don't work out the way that we hoped they would, and and disaster happens. But if we try and we stick to this kind of vulnerability, this kind of this created order of realizing that you are helping someone fulfill their calling and that person is helping you fulfill theirs, then then we get and we grasp what God is asking us when it comes to not just our marriages, but our relationships. Which leads us to Jesus, which is a little bit odd because Jesus was a guy who died in his mid-30s and never married. Yet throughout his his ministry talked about marriage and weddings all the time. I mean, his first miracle was at a wedding. I mean, the Bible starts with a wedding, and it actually ends with a marriage as well. In the final few sentences of the book of Revelation, the Bible literally starts and ends with a wedding. And so Jesus, there are all these prophecies about him in the Old Testament, about this coming Messiah and the bride about God and his love for his people, the bride and the bridegroom, Christ and the church. And there's this really unique word that is described, that describes the kind of love that God has for his people. And it's not used anywhere else except in these verses that talk about this bride and the bridegroom. And it's this word, ahava. You gotta like you gotta like gargle your spit during the H. Everyone say ahava. Gazuntite. And so this word is this very mysterious Hebrew word that comes up on only a few occasions. And I want to read some of these verses for you. This is Song of Solomon 8. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. For love is as strong as death, which is that's an allusion to Jesus right there. It's jealousy as enduring as the grave. Isaiah 63, in all their suffering, he also suffered. And, and he personally rescued them. His love, his ahava, and his mercy, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them through all the years. Jeremiah 31, long ago, the Lord said to Israel, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. With an unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. Zephaniah 3, for the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. This is the kind of love that God wants us to have in our marriages and in our relationships with one another. This mysterious kind of love that only Jesus could give to his people, to his bride, the God to his people, this this unexplainable kind of love. That is the kind of sacrificial love that Jesus gives to his people, and he wants us to do the same when we experience the love of Christ, when we experience the true love of Jesus. Then we begin to 
uh, have this concept of how God loves his people. And that works its way into our marriages and into our relationships with everyone around us. So it says in Ephesians 5, as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and his mother to be joined with his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And so we have this ongoing kind of love. This, this unexplainable, mysterious kind of love, that, that kind of love that Christ has for his church, that Christ has for you specifically as an individual. It's the same kind that he wants in our marriages. It's the same kind that he wants in our relationships with one another. So, big news in Hollywood this week. Probably going to get a few woots out of the single ladies. Channing Tatum is single. Channing Tatum, I'm not making light of divorce, but Channing Tatum and his wife, Jenna Dewan, I think her name is, uh, came out on Twitter this week to announce their divorce. And I'm not sure why you do that in, on Twitter, um, but I want to read you something. And again, I'm not making light of divorce, okay? But there's some things in here that kind of made me go, hmm, for a moment. Uh, now, I will say, I do not follow up on the life of Channing Tatum on a regular basis. <laughs> Pastor Natalie was the one who brought this up, just saying. Um, apparently, she follows Channing Tatum. This is what he said. We have lovingly chosen to separate as a couple. This is him speaking to Twitter. Absolutely nothing has changed about the way that we love one another. But love is a beautiful adventure that is taking us on different paths right now. There are no secrets or salacious events at the root of our decision, just two best friends realizing it's time to take some space and help each other live the most joyous, fulfilled lives as possible. Now, I'm not making light of this, but this is not that kind of ahava love that we've been talking about. Because that kind of love doesn't separate people into two different paths. Rather, it's the opposite. It's people coming together and helping them fulfill one another's calling in life. It's the coming together of a man and woman to complete and balance out one another. And I don't see that here. And so we need more love in our lives that reflects this kind of love that Jesus has for his church. In our marriages, in our relationships, if the, the people that we work with, you know, our neighbors, the whole loving your neighbor thing is attached to this. And we need more love like this. And it's hard. I get it. It's, it's hard to love your enemies. And it's hard sometimes to love your neighbor. And sometimes it's, maybe it's even hard to love your spouse. There are things that sometimes spouses do that drive each other nuts. And, and so we get caught in these relationships and this back and forth of not doing so hot in this this. Uh, area of our lives and this kind of love, this kind of love that Jesus has for the church. And he's calling us, he's calling us to be better at this, to love one another, not just uh, in our homes, but everyone around us. And it's hard sometimes, I get it, but we need to begin to build our lives on the kind of love that Jesus shows the church. 
We need to build our lives on, on the kind of love that God has for his people. If he's shown it in your own heart, he's expecting you to show it to the others in your areas of influence as well. And so what I want us to do is take just these next few moments as we sing to be thinking about the relationships in your life. Be thinking about your marriage relationships, maybe the relationship you have with your um, you know, your fiance, uh, maybe the person that you're dating, maybe the person that you're, you're best friends with. Think about your vulnerability. Think about uh, and ask yourself the question, am I fulfilling helping my spouse fulfill the call that God has put on their life? Like, am I doing that? And I, I think that if we are honest and ask some of those difficult questions sometimes, are we loving people around us like that? that God and Holy Spirit begins to convict us, begins to come down on us and say, maybe you can do that better. And I promise you, as, as I went through this this week, this was a hard one for me. It really was. And I won't get into why. But sometimes it's really hard to reach that expectation. But God just wants us to strive through the power of His Holy Spirit to love people more and more and better and better. So as the, began, as the band begins to play, and sing. I want you to just take a moment, maybe to close your eyes. Maybe you just don't need to sing for a moment. Maybe you just need to take a moment to think about your relationships and how you're loving others. And I'm going to come back up and talk a little bit more about the love of Jesus Christ. Amen.